Thanks so much, Robin. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, we're going back to the man series, going through Matthew, and pretty intense passage today, so we might just pray, and then we're going to go through this, um, yeah, this passage together. Thank you so much, Lord, that we can, yeah, read the Bible together, and thank you for the gift of your spirit, presence with us in community as well, and just ask that you'd speak to us by your word today, God. Thank you that you're good, Jesus, and all the things that you say are good, even though it can be hard and challenging as well. So we just ask that, God, you'd speak to our hearts, open our minds as we listen to these puzzling stories that you told, and give us understanding and ears to hear, we pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so we are going to have a look, yep, at the parable of the weeds today, is what it's kind of might be called in your... Bible, or the wheat and tares, um, or something like that. But if you were here a few weeks ago, we started um, looking at Jesus' teaching of parables, and we talked about how these are not really just like simple illustrations to make something more make sense. It's actually Jesus' parables were puzzling stories that kind of invited people in as a bit of a puzzle, and even confused people, and even were kind of designed to turn people off him if they weren't interested. Some people might listen to this weird story and then just say, this guy doesn't know anything, and and leave. Um, But other people who have ears to hear have to really listen and seek, and actually Jesus is teaching insights and secrets of his kingdom so that we can learn more about what's going on um, with his coming. And the parables, again, have to be read, read in context. Jesus is actually talking about what's happening around him, because as we've been talking about all year in these chapters in Matthew, people are really confused about Jesus. He's doing things that don't fit people's boxes, that things are happening that are outside of what he expected. John the Baptist is in prison. If Jesus is the the king and the savior, why is his cousin in prison? Why are people opposing him? Why aren't many people listening? And there's this sort of question mark over Jesus, and he starts then to tell parables. And the parables are actually describing what's happened, what's happening. And we sort of said that last time with the parable of the sower. Jesus is the sower. He's sowing his word and Lots of people are not responding. In the story, only one in four respond. But the story says the problem is not with Jesus. Jesus is sowing good seed. The problem is where it's landing in people's hearts, and lots of people are just not willing to listen to Jesus. That's why all these people are not responding. So Jesus is actually talking about what's going on around him. And again, he's kind of um, inviting people in to realize that actually what's going on with his coming kingdom, with God rescuing the world is a bit more complex than people expected. Um, because it's interesting what happens if, if something doesn't match your expectations, it's easy to get frustrated if there's this conflict, right? If you're in a conflict with another person, it's often frustrating, it can be emotional, it can get angry. If you're in a conflict even within yourself, or with, in this case, people in some ways in conflict with Jesus, because he's not fitting what they think, it's easy when you're in a conflict to kind of get, um, your heart rate goes up, you might get frustrated, you might get sweaty even, um, and then you start to think in very simplistic terms often. Um, You're good, you're bad, black and white, fight or flight. That's kind of what happens, and it's very simplistic. And Jesus, in many ways, in these parables, invites people into understanding that the kingdom, it may be more complex than originally thought. What God's doing doesn't fit people's categories, and it's not as simple as expected, but it still is really God's kingdom coming in Jesus. 
So he's really, the parables are designed to actually invite people to a different understanding, a different vision of his kingdom that actually matches what Jesus is actually doing. And in a similar way today, as we approach a passage like this, it's a pretty intense passage, especially at the end. It's obviously a passage that references hell, which is teaching that's part of the Bible, which is pretty intense. And even maybe when you read parts of this Bible, the Bible like this, Maybe you even find that your heart rate starts to go up and maybe you feel a bit scared and then we find there's this flight or flight response that goes on and we can't really think complex ways. And today, as we look at this passage, I think Jesus is inviting us into the complexity of the world that we're in and even, in some ways, the complexity of his judgment and his plan to rescue the world. So what we're invited to today is not a simplistic understanding but to have Jesus teaching an understanding of what's going on through this puzzling story. It's pretty cool. It's a very simple story, but very deep as well. So again, Jesus is talking to crowds, and he's just telling stories about farmers and wheat and weeds. He talks to the crowd, and he says this. Jesus told them another parable. Imagine everyone's waiting, looking, who's this teacher, Jesus? And he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did all the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. We're just going to kind of go through this one section at a time, um, because really, this first section of the story, the story is basically in three sections, so we're going to go through each section. The first section of the story is this story, right, about someone sowing a field of wheat, and then there's this confusing presence of weeds among the wheat. People are clearly confused, and Jesus doesn't explain the parable to the crowds. He just tells the story, and then leaves, right? Like, it's just, he just tells the story. But then later on, his disciples come and ask him about it, and he basically explains the whole thing. So we're going to kind of look at his explanation as well, because he basically says exactly what each part is. So we're skipping forward a bit in your Bibles to verse 37. When they ask Jesus about what's going on with this story, he says this, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So again, Jesus is talking about himself and what he's doing. He's sowing seed. He's sowing the word of his kingdom. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So Jesus basically explains this. And it's interesting because Jesus, right, has been going and confronting evil um, in the story of Matthew, in the stories of the gospel. Jesus heals people. Jesus has even been dealing with spiritual evil and casting out demons. Jesus has been um, debating Pharisees and, and, and speaking some pretty strong things to them. So Jesus is addressing the reality of evil in the world, but really, compared to what people expected him to do, there's a whole lot of weeds around him all the time, right? What, what people would expect, if Jesus is really the Savior and the, the Messiah and the King come, why is there so much opposition to him? Why are so many people against Jesus? Why are so many people rejecting Jesus? Why are there all these weeds around is really what's going on. 
And why are not people not responding to you, Jesus? If you're sowing good seed, why are people not listening? Like, this is a confusing presence of weeds when you're sowing good wheat. And Jesus says the answer is that he has an enemy. There's an enemy. And Jesus is bringing his kingdom, but there's an enemy that is opposing it. And there's actually a spiritual force behind the people who are opposing Jesus. It's not that the people are against him, but he actually has an enemy who's against him. People may have thought, well, if Jesus' kingdom has really come, if God's kingdom and rescue plan for the world is really here, then evil should be gone. It should be dealt with. But Jesus says, no, it's more complex than that. There's actually an enemy at work. So you see, the weeds in the world come from an enemy, not from God. Again, Jesus is sowing good seed. Jesus' word is good. There's no problem with what Jesus is doing in the parable of the soul. The problem is not with Jesus, it's with people's hearts. And the problem with the weeds is not with Jesus and the good seed that he's sowing. The problem is that there's actually an enemy who's sowing rival seed trying to oppose his kingdom. So it's more complex than maybe these disciples would have thought. Similar way we hear this today, right? There's often very quite, in some ways, simple, and it's hard because these are big issues that people have, but often they're approached in very simple ways where we say, well, there's all these weeds in the world, right? There's all this evil in the world. There's all these problems in the world. There's all this suffering in the world. Either God's not good or God's not powerful. There's no God or a weak God or God must be evil. And again, that makes sense that people say that, but Jesus' invitation is into a more complex, nuanced understanding of the world. That actually, no, it's not that simple. Actually, the weeds don't come from God. Actually, God made his world good, but God has an enemy. There's an enemy who's at work in the world. God made the world good, but it was corrupted by spiritual evil, a force that lied to and deceived humans. And that force has been at work in the world continually. And we know after Jesus' death and resurrection, it's been defeated, but it's still present in the world. Present in Jesus' context, sowing seeds of opposition against Jesus, but still present in the world today as well. It's more complex. And in many ways, we'd like to know a lot more about that. Like, why, God, would you let there be an enemy? Like, why haven't you stopped that? And there's a whole lot of questions around that. The parable doesn't answer. The parable just says, well, it, it wasn't Jesus that sowed the weeds. It was an enemy. It's not God that sowed the weeds in the world. It was an enemy. And it's true, right? Even today, and even as we talked about this week and, and recent events and look at our world and there's a whole lot of problems and issues and evil in the world. And it's easy just to say, well, it must be God's fault. But actually, no, it's more complex. We're in a spiritual battle. God has an enemy who's actually at work in the world. So then the parable goes on and thinks, well, if that's true, we should probably do something about that. This is what the guys in this story say, right? The servants asked him, so, well, there's an enemy that sowed weeds. The servant said, well, do you want us to go and pull them up, right? That seems like a pretty th good thing to do. There's weeds in the field, pull them up. And Jesus' disciples, if you know the stories, are pretty keen to pull up the weeds that are all around them, right? If they see people opposed to Jesus, they're pretty keen to be opposed to them. They're pretty keen to deal with the Romans, to deal with the Pharisees. They just want to get out there and get the kingdom in and deal with everyone who's opposed to them, right? They're keen to get their hands dirty. They're keen to get out there and pull up weeds and make it happen now. Seems like a good desire. In the story, 
the landowner, the farmer, the sower says, no, don't want you to go and pull them up. No, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. So let both grow together until harvest. So the servants in the story, they think they're being helpful, right? Well, oh, there's an enemy who came and sowed weeds. We should go and uproot them. We should weed the field. There's all these weeds ruining the field. We should go deal with them. They think they're being helpful. And in many ways, they probably have a good desire. But actually, in their passion and their good desire, they're actually going to cause more devastation and harm than good. Uh, it's interesting, in this story, um, it's kind of likely commentators say Jesus is actually talking about a type of weed uh, I think it's called Darnell, that looks very much like wheat. So they're actually growing up together and look very similar, but it actually is poisonous. And it's not till they actually really grow and, and, and um, that they're, sort of, they're, they're more fully grown that you can really tell. So if they're in their passion going out and trying to get rid of all the weeds, there's a good chance they're going to make a mistake and pull up good wheat in the meantime. So this is true for us then. Well, there's a teaching about the kingdom for us in this as well, which is that we are not to pull out the weeds in the world, as it actually may do more harm than good. Which the story and the parable is really about the discomfort of waiting. Because I was thinking about this in a story. Like, I'm not really a gardener, so this probably illustration may have lots of holes in it. But I was thinking, imagine if you have a grandma who's got a garden, so there's probably lots of grandmas here with gardens, right? Really nice garden, out the front yard, lots of time and energy into the garden, flowers, fruit, trees, bees come in the garden, birds come in the garden. It's this beautiful garden. And then one day, grandma's arch rival from across the street <laughs> comes at night and sows weeds in your grandma's garden, right, that she cares about. They, this person deliberately goes and sows weeds. And somehow you know about it. Grandma tells you about it. You know what's happening. There's like controversy in the neighborhood. Like, what would you want to do if that was your grandma, right? Like, probably want to go talk to the neighbor, maybe. But surely you'd want to do something, right? This person has just come and ruined your precious grandma's garden. You probably want to do something. You want to go deal with it. You want to go pull out the weeds or confront the person. You want to make it better, but grandma knows that you don't really know much about gardening, <laughs> especially if it was me. And if you're going to go pick up all these weeds, you're going to actually damage her garden and make it worse. So she says, no, I just want you to do nothing. Just leave it. Just let it grow up, and I'll pull it out when I'm ready. And if, if you could see that, that would probably be a difficult thing to do, right? There's a discomfort of just tolerating and letting it be. And particularly in the context of Jesus' disciples, right, they, they're ready for the kingdom to come. They want evil to be dealt with. They want to make it happen now. And this story is basically saying, no, just wait. Just let it be, actually. Let it grow up together. And maybe we feel similar about this in ways as well. Perhaps you felt like you just want to or you just want God to just deal with the problems in the world and just deal with evil in the world or just get rid of people that are opposed to his kingdom or or just somehow push to the side people who are sinful and they're compromising the church or the world and they're just making a mess of things. We should just get rid of them and just make everything good and, and pure and, and right. And, and maybe there's some good desires in that, but actually this story is basically saying we're actually really bad judges. 
And even if we've got a passion for, for God's kingdom or for, for holiness and, and for, for justice, which is good, this, this, this story is actually saying, well, actually, we need to be humble because often we don't really know who's in and who's out. And actually, if we're just going to go around judging everybody and making the call on everybody and trying to pull up all the weeds, actually, we're going to cause chaos. Now, this needs to be balanced, right, with teaching in the Bible that is about confronting people. Matthew will later on talk about confronting sin. It's just not saying there's no place to do that. And obviously, God's kingdom is coming in the world, and that part of that involves pushing back darkness and, and seeking his kingdom to come, and, and which is about confronting evil in the world. There's, there's truth in that. But really, I think the story is about putting a cap, right, on our thinking that we can go and perfectly cleanse and heal the world of evil or, or rid and purify the church and we're the judges and we can make it happen now. That's really, it's saying, no, that's, that's going to cause a whole lot of problems. And to be honest, it has, right? If you, if you look at church history, right, and the church has just not followed this parable at all, really. Like, the church sets itself up as judge and even seeks to purge and at times has killed people who they feel are wrong in an effort to pull the weeds, and in the effort of that has probably damaged so much wheat, so many people's faith. Even recently, right, there's so, so many of um, Christians right, are seen as people who just judge and condemn or put people in categories. Like, that's, we kind of have a reputation for that now. And again, there's, there's truth in Scripture about discerning, but there's a danger when the church sets itself up as the one who will rid the world of evil and pull out all the weeds, Actually, Jesus is saying that will be dangerous. The parable instead is to do something that we don't like to do and potentially something that's really uncomfortable, which is to wait and effectively tolerate the presence of evil in the world. The, the, the master says, let both grow together. We're still to right, seek God's kingdom first, we're called to pray for God's kingdom to come to earth. We're called to follow Jesus faithfully. But we should expect that until that day, there will be evil. There will be weeds. There will be issues in the world. That's, that's, Jesus invites us to this complexity of the kingdom, that the kingdom has come, but there's still weeds present as well. So that's sort of one side. We can probably also go to the other extreme, though, and maybe we sort of look out on the world and we think, well, there's all these weeds, there's all this evil. If God has an enemy, well, he's not doing anything about it. There's all these problems. Maybe God just actually doesn't really care. God doesn't care about the weeds. Um, or maybe we sort of even say, well, let's just accept it as it is. We'll just accept the evil in the world. That's just part of it. Maybe God just accepts it. But we see this is not the truth in the rest of the story. The next verse, in verse 30, the story says, let both grow together. Until the harvest. There's a time of the discomfort of them being together, but then there's a time of harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. So there's a time in the story when the harvester, not the servants, will send out um, people and they will then cleanse the field effectively and bring in the harvest. Jesus explains this again later in verse 39. He explains these aspects. He says, The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. 
the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. In this story, it's very clear that the weeds won't be tolerated forever by God. There's a time, Jesus says in this story, at that time, God will remove the weeds, will remove all opposition to his kingdom, and set up his kingdom on earth. So there's a time coming when God will remove the weeds and heal the world he loves. The fact that it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen or that it doesn't care. It's just that it's not yet the time. If the thought on that like, idea of waiting, though, and sort of having to wait for God to deal with evil and tolerate the presence of evil, that might make us uncomfortable. There's a good chance, though, that these verses maybe even make us more uncomfortable, <laughs> that actually the idea of God coming and judging the world and cleansing all evil and burning, fire, fire, like burning furnace and stuff like that, there's a good chance that that makes us uncomfortable. So I want to kind of look at this a little bit more today, because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings that we may have that are actually not from the Bible that make this scary and not really make sense. Because we, we might say, well, yeah, we, wanted, we want evil to be dealt with God in the world, but we don't really want someone to burn forever. Like, like that seems like overkill kind of thing, right? Like, we don't want to torture someone forever. That doesn't seem to make sense. So we're just going to look at what the Bible talks a little bit about this. This is a Something we could talk a lot more about, but this is just a little kind of paradigm shift on some of these verses to try and make more sense of them. Um, Because what we tend to do is think that the story of the Bible looks like this. We tend to think the story of the Bible is a story about leaving earth to either go to heaven or hell. So life doesn't really matter that much. The main thing that matters in life is that you do the right thing or you have the right belief or you know the right password so that when you die, you end up in the good place, not in the bad place. That, that's kind of become the caricature of what Christians believe. And maybe you're sort of looking at that and you say, yeah, that's it, right? That's what the Bible teaches. Um, it's really interesting, though, if you were to go to Bible Gateway and put in the words, or like a Bible search tool, you're trying to search Bible verses, if you were to put in the words heaven and hell and do a search and look for how many verses in the Bible have heaven and hell together. Because if this, this sort of vision of the Bible says everything's about heaven and hell, right? You just need to make sure you're in heaven, not in hell. If you do a Bible, Bible gateway search, heaven and hell, zero. Nothing will come up. That the Bible does not put those two words together in, the, in, in Scripture. If you do the words heaven and earth, if you go into Bible Gateway and you search heaven and earth, stacks of results. There's so many Bible verses about heaven and earth. The Bible doesn't put heaven and hell together all the time. It puts heaven and earth together. So I invite you to this paradigm shift. This is something that's been really helpful for me in understanding the story of Scripture, which is that the story of the Bible is not what we just said before, That's about leaving earth through death to go to heaven or hell. The story of the Bible is about heaven coming to earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the end of the story, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus 
encourage us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven as it is in earth. It's like all through Scripture. God's desire and plan is that heaven and earth are united, and they want to be a marriage when they're reunited. So the story is about actually heaven coming down to earth, and when that happens, all evil, which in this sort of story we're talking about today is weeds, and all those opposed to God's rule will be contained outside. Effectively, heaven comes down, and hell on earth is contained and removed outside the city. So it's not primarily about going to heaven or hell, but the kingdom coming down and the spread of evil and destruction and opposition to God's rule and reign being contained outside the city, outside the kingdom. And again, there's metaphors present in this language of hell. We talk about fire and darkness and weeping and so forth. This is like symbolic language which is trying to explain something that we just cannot understand, right? Like, if you take all evil and everyone who doesn't want God and put them all together, what is it going to be like, right? And this, there's metaphors that are used to explain this. And there's one reason we know this is metaphors, because they contradict each other. In Matthew, if you read these two verses, right? Matthew 8, 12. Jesus has already talked about this when we've gone through Matthew. He says, But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the passage we just looked at today, they will be thrown into the blazing furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you see how those metaphors are actually contradictory, right? Is it darkness, or is it fire, which is light? Right? You can't have both. So these are clearly symbolic language, which is trying to describe something that we can't understand. It's not a literal definition, what he's saying is that this place of being outside and pushed outside will be a place of fire or burning, which is this destruction, dehumanization, corruption. People who have rejected God and want nothing to do with him will be left to themselves. It's a, it's a symbol of darkness, which is a place of isolation and loneliness. The symbolic language, it'll be a place of weeping at loss. People are, are sad because they've lost the world, right, and the freedom that they had in the world, God won't let their freedom spread anymore. This is weeping. There's also gnashing of teeth, which is this idea of frustration and anger. Because we didn't get what we wanted, God puts a limit. But these are not people that want to be in God's kingdom, right? These are people that are opposed to God and are contained outside. So time is coming when God will remove the weeds and heal the world he loves. And I think this paradigm shift makes so much more sense, right? Because it's more complex than what we might think. It's not that God is just angry and wants to torture people. <laughs> like, sometimes that's what we think God might be like, or is taught that God might be like. That's not the God of the Bible, right? Right? God loves people. He, he cares for people, right? He wants people in His kingdom. He does not want to just talk to... He, God is not a vindictive monster, but he's also not just this indulgent grandparent who will just let people do whatever they want forever. He, he's just. And he's a good father who will deal with evil in the world. He will judge and bring justice to the world. But the thing with this is, right, because most people will agree that, that God should stop and contain and remove sex traffickers, dictators, right, abusers, and most people, even non-Christians would agree 
with that, right? People doing evil, hurting people. But God's so passionate about his world that when his kingdom comes, he will remove not just sex trafficking, but all forms of lust. Not just violence, but all forms of hatred and anger and corruption will have no place in his kingdom. He will remove pride, including religious, spiritual pride. God's so passionate about his kingdom that he will remove all of the weeds, not just the big weeds that we really don't like. He will remove all of the weeds because he's so passionate about his world and his kingdom. Josh Butler um, explains it like this. He says, when God shows up, the reason sin is cast outside the city is because it stands in opposition to God's good and redemptive purposes for inside the city. This is the idea of the new Jerusalem. To ask God to redeem Jerusalem, but not cast sin outside the city, city walls, is like asking a doctor to heal your body without excising the disease, without cutting out the disease. It's like asking light to arise without casting out the darkness, like asking for restoration to come and destruction to remain. It is like asking for a contradiction. God excludes sin from his kingdom because of his goodness, not in opposition to or in spite of it. God is so good that he will remove all forms of evil from his world. It's not that it's like, is God really good because he will limit people? It's like, no, because God is good, he will remove the weeds from his world. Jesus, interesting, um, tells this parable, and he doesn't say this last line to the crowds, which is interesting, but he does say it to his disciples when he's explaining it to them. He says to his disciples, when he gives them the explanation, whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the idea that disciples really need to listen to this. Are you listening, Jesus says, to this interpretation of the parable of the weeds? Because the kingdom may be more complex than we think. There's actually an enemy, there's a real enemy, and actually we're called to wait patiently, but one day there will be a day when God will actually come and deal with the weeds, and he will deal with the weeds in our hearts as well. And perhaps the reason the disciples really need to hear it is because actually they might think all the weeds are out there, but actually there's a whole lot of weeds right in here. So going around trying to weed out everybody else is probably not a good idea. Our job is to trust Jesus, to receive the seed of his word, and to place then all confidence in his mercy on the cross. Because he has made a way to turn weeds into wheat. Right? The disciples just want to go out and weed out all the evil of the world. Jesus says, no, I'm going to let all the evil in the world kill me. I'm going to let all the weeds surround me. I'm going to take them all into myself, and I'm going to be cast outside the city, and I'm going to be contained in a grave, and I'm going to die. But I'm going to defeat it, and in doing so, anyone who trusts me is now wheat, right? Anyone who's in me is now wheat. You're alive from the dead. You have new life. The, the weeds have been removed, and we have life in his kingdom because of nothing to do with us, but because of his work and his grace, and he just invites us to trust him. 
He didn't come to judge the world because he loves it and wants to heal it. He hasn't come back yet because he's patient and he wants more and more weeds to turn to wheat. He is a compassionate and gracious father who loves the world so much that he gave his son. But he also loves it so much that he won't let it be ravaged by weeds forever. There is a time when he will deal with it and contain it and his kingdom will come in fullness. So if we find ourselves as wheat, right, if, if we're in the kingdom, if we believe in Jesus, it's not because of us. It doesn't give us a right to go around and try and weed out everybody else. It's because of him. It's because of his grace and his mercy. He calls us to humbly serve him, to seek first his kingdom, to wait and enter his understanding of the kingdom that has come but will one day come in fullness. So I'm going to pray as we sort of finish. And I know that was pretty heavy today. And I um, would love to have more conversations about some of that. If anyone has conversations, if you have questions, feel free to send me an email. Um, so it's just a small twitching on a massive topic. Um, but I suppose perhaps as we respond today, I suppose there's two forms of waiting in this parable. And maybe there's a need to consider which one is more relevant at the moment. One form of waiting that maybe God's inviting you to is the form of waiting and actually not going out and thinking that we can judge and condemn and weed out other people. And actually, we're actually called to tolerate evil in the world in a sense and to wait for the kingdom. Maybe there's a need for humility in that. Or maybe there's a need to wait and look to that Jesus' vision of his coming kingdom and actually see his goodness in that that actually he is good and will one day renew the whole world. And he calls us to wait and look forward to that day. So I'm going to pray and then, then we'll sing as we respond. Just thank you, God, that you are good and all the ways that you have are good. You're good even to a world who is bad and corrupted by your enemy and people who have rejected your rule and your reign and let weeds grow in our own heart. Thank you that you are the great surgeon who comes to cut us, to heal us. And God, sometimes that is a scary thing, but your desire is life and healing. So we ask that you would remove weeds from our heart. We ask that you would give us grace to trust in you and see and understand your vision of the kingdom and how you're working in the world. Just thank you, Jesus, for your wisdom and your love and your mercy to us. Make us a people who are humble, gracious, kind, who reflect your love to the world, God, and give us grace as well to look to that day when you will come and renew all things. Just thank you that that is a good day. We ask for vision and understanding of your heart for your world as well. So we just thank you for your word, Jesus. Would you lead us and guide us? Yeah, as we respond and then we go about the rest of our day today, we honor you and thank you for your wisdom in your name. Amen.